Hey guys, it's your host Julian. This week I'm sitting down with returning guest Carrie Yost. If y'all remember the last time Carrie was on, we talked pretty extensively about the Powerpuff Girls movie and Cartoon Network. This time we're chatting anything and everything about the original Clone High and Cloudy with a Chance of Meatballs. Don't forget, if you'd like to support this show, join us over on Patreon. We got a bunch of ad-free on the audio and video side, as well as some Patreon exclusives. We're going to drop our first Patreon exclusive episode at the end of this month. Before we roll into this week's episode, if you'd all be so kind, drop us a rating and a review over on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever your preferred listening platforms is. If you're watching this over on YouTube, don't forget to smash that subscribe button and tell us what you think about the episode. Now, enjoy the show. The last time I had you on, uh, I, I meant it when I said it in the breakdown for the episode. I have never laughed harder than when you were on the first time. I, I don't know what it is. I don't know if it's your sensibility, just your, your wit, your humor. Maybe it's just uh, you're the Michael Jordan of guests right now because you could you do it all, Carrie, man. But you had me laughing. I think, really I think there's a level a of self-humiliation. I think you, have, you really, really got to give it up for me in terms of like how pathetic um, I can be. And uh, self-deprecation is important. I just as long as people are laughing, you know, it doesn't matter. Um, <laughs> That's such a sad clown statement. Too, man, but <laughs> I'm a sad clown. Um, no, man, Carrie here. I, I, I knew I, I knew I wanted you back on pretty quickly because, like I said, I had such a fun time the first time we talked. And one of the first things you know you had mentioned you worked on. Um, and like I said, we'll do dealer's choice. We go wherever you want to go. But uh, you told me Cloudy with a Chance of Meatballs was was really big and really fun. And then the other thing was the uh, the original and somewhat of the revival for Clone High Man. So dealer's choice, where do you want to start? I mean, if you want to go uh, be linear and then just start at uh, at Clone High. Sure. Ish, would be like probably talking about early 2000s, uh, possibly late 90s. Mm-hmm. Um because uh, it was an outgrowth of, of working at Cartoon Network. So I, I've noticed a lot of people online are going, that looks like, you know, Dexter's or Powerpuff Girls, um, because that's what I was working on prior to Clone High, and that's and and uh, Dexter Smith and Mike Moon, who were also pretty instrumental in, in creating uh, Clone High's uh, look, uh, were coming off that show. And that that's also what uh, uh, Phil Lord and Chris Miller were looking for uh, when they were making it, I don't, and to be, to be sort of expansive about that stuff. I think, I think the style of that, uh, or, or if you want to call it like the sort of the, the modernist graphic cartoon style, like it, no, nobody's able to really lock in what that's called exactly. Everybody says UPA, but really it's a lot more like Disney Ward Kimball slash Tom Ora, who was the, the, the character designer for Ward Kimball at that time. He also did like Sleeping Beauty stuff. Just the sort of like, um, I think you're stripping down a lot of things to sort of design elements and you're being, uh, so you have a lot more uh, minimal stuff coming out of UPA where it's just like, hey, what if we just do this with really, really simple uh, color and compositions? And uh, I think they're taking also their, their cue from uh, modern artists at the time um, and graphic artists. And I mean, we could go into that. I think a, a, the better shit stuff has been written, but it feels like um, uh, post-World War II, a lot of that stuff became more available maybe. Mm-hmm. And like there were a lot more trips to museums and a lot of that art got um, sort of uh, 
you know, shown and 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 observed by a lot of artists who worked in Hollywood and worked in animated movies. Um, although to be like to be really <laughs> to be more accurate, I'm pretty sure somebody like Mary Blair was looking at Kandinsky well before that war started. Um, but uh, yeah, there was a shift in uh, sort of graphic art and and fine art prior to that, and eventually it sort of trickled down to animation and. Um, I think that first run, I think a lot of people who were sort of, you know, the smarties appreciated it. Mm -hmm. I don't know that it had like a lot of public love. There's not like a flagship movie or show um, that was purely that kind of sort of like kind of intellectualized cartooning. <laughs> um, and, uh, you know, unless you're talking about like the Flintstones or something, but that's, it's kind of goes through a filter of like, it's very appealing and it's very like, um, uh it's also labor saving so there's a lot of practical things that are happening too so uh yeah to make a, a short story super long um <laughs> cartoon network you know it started to lean in that direction it's like a, i think it was very um um sort of rational place to go and people like uh Genny tartakovsky and and uh and craig mccracken were designing shows that were very stripped down and graphic but really well executed and they had great artists working for them and people who you know came from the Ren and Stimpy show and Ren and Stimpy was also kind of playing with that although uh I would say it's probably more on the sort of like volumetric construction constructed side of of things it still played with a lot of graphic animation um especially in those little interstitials they had and so it was kind of like a rebirth of 50s and the 90s right so uh so it's a lot of different styles. There's so many people who did the style. There's so many different versions of it. And if you look at like a, a the book on cartoon modern, there's like so many different expressions. Like you could have the kind of stuff they did in Sleeping Beauty, or you could have Gerald McBoing Boing, or you can go even more simple than that. Um, or you can go like James Thurber, Unicorn in My Garden. And so it's like you could get very, um, what would they call like naive with the style, mm -hmm. or you get very minimalist, you know, you, you could get like, um fauvist or like you can get expressionistic it but it gets kind of pulled together under the umbrella of like oh it's a cartoon network style or it's a upa style the upa had like so many different styles why um, do you think that is just, well i think in general there's so many reasons right there was like it's like it's because they're all communists uh <laughs> but but interestingly that was the kind of that was the um that was the argument, right? That more traditional yeah. artists were, everything was commie, but it was just the same way, like we were just talking, like, like how everybody's a fascist now. Yeah. Uh, everything was kind of red baiting um, back mm -hmm. then, not everything, but especially when it came to things like this. I mean, these were, you know, kind of um, uh, progressives, artists, people who probably identified with the left more than, than, than the right. They were doing things that were progressive from a artistic culture. Yeah, and they were um, they were deconstructing a little bit, and they were um, they were. I think this is the thing that that, that I say. Like so, so um, we'll probably bring him up. My uh, Justin Thompson, my Damn friend it, and bitter bitter enemy, rivals, Thompson, former my erstwhile friend. Um, to be honest, <laughs> what a loser! <laughs> what a loser! Um, <laughs> And we're just like screaming from like the anonymous like regions of the podcast uh, sphere right now because uh, we're jealous and angry. Um, but yeah, he he has a he he has a way of putting things, and and the thing he likes to say a lot is that it's um, 
it's 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 non-literal right it's it's interpretive and you can see that in like spider-verse he's he's carried it all the way through to recently is it like why why are you doing color to look like color you know should look or like a live action movie would present it um maybe you can be more interpretive you can be more emotional you can evoke the emotions in the scene you kind of need all these things in animation because you don't have the kind of like these but i think movies have these really versatile and powerful actors that and the performances can be really riveting and you're looking at close-ups mm-hmm. a lot of the time um so it's like you need more in your arsenal maybe maybe for like animation and one of those things might be you know the production design of a thing i feel like that's what's coming across in in spider-verse it's like we want an emotional experience because that's kind of what you what keeps you in your seat for two hours yeah <laughs> and uh uh because you can't it can't just be like you know okay, we hit all the things and structurally it's fine and it looks pretty, you know, it's like, it's almost like not enough, especially nowadays. Um, so these kind of, I wouldn't say they're tricks. They're just kind of like, um, they're, they're ways to kind of like beeline, get to the point. Like, what are we trying, what are we really trying to do here? We're trying to move an audience. So we're going to use everything in our arsenal, you know, everything in the sort of the visual expression of the thing, um, uh, and the timing and whatever to achieve that goal. And the less restriction we have, the better in a way. Like, you know, mm-hmm. obviously you're not looking for something that's formless, but you're looking for something that's like, I don't need conventional restrictions on this. I need to push things to make sure people get engaged and are excited. Um, and I don't think that this style, just to be clear, invented that necessarily. Yeah. Um, there's a lot of ways you can kind of push the envelope there. Um, and I think ever since the first animated movies in particular, there was a concerted effort, you know, especially by people like Walt Disney to, to connect with an audience. And that was the biggest, mm-hmm. that was the biggest hurdle for him. And you can hear it like all like the meetings that, that were, they, they have, like, you know, they've transcribed, you know, what Walt's saying in a, in a meeting. It's almost always single focused on how do we get the audience to connect to this character? Um, you know, it was, it was the big problem. Like, who's going to watch a cartoon for over an hour? Um, so you do have to kind of, and it's why, it's why uh, I think animation, I don't know if it's story obsessed. It can be a little bit um, conservative in in the way it's just sort of like, it, it really locks into um, structures uh, and things get a little bit like, okay, I get it. I see, I've seen the structure and every animated movie there it leans hard in the business i think animation is always a little bit afraid that you're going to check out because you're just looking at you know you're looking at cartoons you're not looking Mm -hmm. at uh movie stars um anyway going back to uh cartoon network so cartoon network you know started with uh dexter's lab um uh or at least you know i started working with them on that uh I came, I went away, I came back, worked on Powerpuff Girls, and then uh, Samurai Jack, and then the Powerpuff Girls movie. And that, and Justin came on around that time. And, uh, and Mike Moon was the, I think he was the production designer for Powerpuff Puff Girls movie. Uh, and so we, it was like a full, like, I think there were a lot of people that approached a lot of artists. They just approached it very intuitively, like, I'm drawing this cool stuff. And it kind of, yeah, it's graphic, whatever. Don't think a lot about it, honestly. And then there were like people like me uh, and Justin and a few, and, and Craig Kelman, who's a fantastic character designer, who would analyze the fuck out of stuff. I'm, I can't. I keep forgetting if I could swear on this. Yeah, man, Sorry. go for it. 
No, you're perfectly but, fine. Nothing but curse words after this. Um, <laughs> I'm, I'm going to describe this only with curse words. Um, How far do you think you can get into a sentence? I don't know. That'd be, that'd be, that'd be annoying after a while. <laughs> so this book and shit, man. Uh, uh, so like, um, yeah, we would talk endlessly about it because we're probably overly verbal and annoying. Um, uh, and there are a lot of guys, by the way, I, I, and even, I feel like the more names I'm going to include in this list, the more I'm going to be leaving people out, like people like Blake Morrow and uh, Dave Smith. And these guys all had a sense of like, like what are we really doing? We're, we're making a funny story. You know, it's like we're, 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 we're telling a story, but we're really like the goal is just to get people laughing. Um, and, uh, and then they're developing skill sets that, that were pretty advanced by the time they left. A lot of them went to places like DreamWorks and were like, oh, we need a comedy pass or we need, you know, eventually a director. And, uh, so some of these guys, you know, were, were getting to that level and they were cutting their teeth in TV. So that was unusual for a while. I think there was a moment, it was almost like sort of like breaking the sound barrier and I, I might be like laying, <laughs> you know. It might be laying it on a little thick, but there was, it did feel like there was a period where those guys and uh, maybe TV people in general were getting invited to kind of give a fresh look to features. Mm -hmm. um, um, but I'm getting ahead of myself. Uh, so Clone High was, and I'm going to get it wrong. I don't even remember. You could probably look up uh, exactly how it was created by Chris and Phil. Um, but, uh, they had a cast that had been designed by an artist named Dave Wasson, who I'd gone to school with is a super talented guy. And he's, he's worked on since worked on Cuphead. He's like one of the, uh, created, uh, created, um, time squad as well. One of my favorite shows. Of all yeah. Time. Yeah. So, and, and, and Alex Kerwan, who was kind of, uh, always was, uh, not always, but was often collaborating with him, uh, did like a cleanup pass on the early, uh, clone eye designs. And I think uh, they were still looking to push it closer to what they saw coming out of sort of like the Chris and Phil were something coming out of the sort of like the 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 uh, Samurai Jack end of the spectrum, mm -hmm. um, and they tended to be a little bit more like we want to we want to play with the sort of graphic nature of this, and they were interesting guys, and they um, and, which is not to say by the way that they couldn't have written uh, you know somebody like Dave Wasson all the way into the where he's writing right off yeah. the cliff and into the whatever that metaphor would be <laughs> um maybe i should have just said they would have burned the house down with dave um yeah. but uh, you know he might not have been available i'm not sure i don't remember what the circumstances were it's just like oh we hey we have these designs and dave did a pass and they're really cool but we want to take it further um and then um which happens a lot by the way there's a lot of you know, like great early designs of stuff especially in movies uh and they just it, it's like a rewrite it's just like constantly evolving that way um and getting worse and worse with each iteration no i'm kidding it's a joke sometimes though that happens a lot actually um so boy oh boy uh, does it <laughs> you've probably seen it um where on TV uh, right now. yeah yeah i'm doing it i'm doing it right now <laughs> conversation <laughs> Uh, so yeah, so that was a kind of a fun thing because, um, Bill Lawrence, I think was the producer, right. Uh, and he was doing a live action show, um, scrubs, which was like kind of a cheeky, 
like satire of hospital dramas. It was a comedy. It was also, it's actually very similar in some ways to Konai in a way in its tone. It was sort of like young people, you know, falling in love. And there's a lot of sort of like comedic, uh, there's a comedic sort of like comedy of, I don't know what you even call that. Uh, it, it, Sensibility? It's like a, what's that? A sensibility? It's like, it's like yeah. Or a trope? It, I don't know exactly how to call it. And, and honestly, I'm not familiar enough with Scrubs. I know a little bit. But it, there's a, there is like a thing there with those two, with the, with the, the, the vibes. So Clone High was sort of like um, Dawson's Creek uh, satire, if you were to really kind of boil it down. I, it's, it's obviously more than that, but they, that's one of the things they were looking at. So a lot of the sort of like, like maybe melodrama, like the teen melodrama of it, uh, it was taken from that. So it's like, hey, let's take the, but it's like a true love for that too. To be clear, I'm pretty sure Chris and Phil didn't like grow up hate washing, watching, uh, um, you know, uh, uh, Dawson's Creek. Uh, they connected to it probably. I'm guessing. Maybe. Uh, Maybe they, they hated it. Oh, and I think that's kind of key though, because we're talking like, uh, and I could be getting this wrong, but we're kind of like, we went postmodern and now we're kind of getting into, is it meta? Modern? I don't remember. Meta something. Um, we're into this new thing, right? Mm -hmm. We think of like sort of like postmodern being a sort of a generally um, maybe it's self-referencing. Maybe that's more meta, but it tends to be like kind of sardonic and, uh, you know, it's like satirical and deconstruction. And, and then you kind of pass into this new phase where it's like, I feel like, and this is, and I've been reading some stuff about this. It feels to like lately that it feels like it kind of jives with this, but I feel like uh, their sensibility was getting into more like, we don't hate this thing. And honestly, there's probably a lot of stuff like this in, in at Cartoon Network that they're doing. It seems campy and dumb, but we kind of love it. And we're going to do it, but we're also going to make fun of it. So it's like this sort of, it's inclusive. Uh, you know, it's, in, it's inclusive of both attitudes. It's not like, yeah. ha, it's a satire, fuck this shit. Um, you know, Mad Magazine style. It's like, it's like, no, we kind of love it. When we kind of want to have our cake and eat it too. We kind of want you to have emotions about Abe and Joan, even though it's ridiculous. Um, and we want it, and we want you to laugh at that too. We want mm -hmm. it to be absurd. And it's really absurd. And Abe is really dumb. But I think a lot of the appeal for Clone High came out of like, actually, I kind of want to know what's going to happen with these characters, I'm kind of invested in the romantic possibilities of these asinine characters. Um, and I think that's how they wrote it. Now, as, there's a lot of speculation here. I think there's, this is a lot of sort of like stuff that was going on in my head as I was drawing it. And mm -hmm. uh, it might have also been like sort of like drawn out of having conversations with, with Bill and Chris at different moments and kind of getting to know their sensibility. I do get, get the sense that there wasn't so much like they felt they were above things as they were just like, we want to make a comedy and we also want to hit some emotional beats. So you invest. And we kind of like unironically love this stuff that we're doing. Yeah. The stuff that we enjoy it later became Jerry Bruckheimer. But at that moment it was like kind of melodramatic teen, um, teen angst. Yeah. Angsty yeah. 90s teen TV. Um, and there's like, there's like direct references in, in Phone High. So I think they're also looking for designs that could emote a little bit and could pose and could act. Um, and the Clone High characters were more challenging to draw than a lot of the cartoon characters I've done prior to that because they were 
it was literally like the size of their heads. You wouldn't think that complicates things, but when you start to get a little more like, oh, these characters are really tall, you know, like like they're they're not the the sort of compact, easy to keep track mm-hmm. of power buff girl uh, uh, proportions, which is kind of almost one end of the spectrum because their heads are so big. Um, they, there's a lot more to sort of keep track. There's a lot. It's a lot uh, trickier to come up with an interesting composition, the design, things like that. Abe Lincoln is a really challenging character, but also really fun because you can come up with things you've never really seen before because he's so lanky and he's so awkward and weird. And it's like, you don't know what to do with his head. So there's almost like a paper cutout approach. Like this, this head doesn't really turn really well. <laughs> and and neither does, uh, um, neither does um, uh, Gandhi's head. Like, it's just like, it's such a severe graphic shape that, really only should be looked at as that shape at all times. Mm-hmm. Um, and so when he's like th- three quarter, it's that shape. When he's profile, it's kind of the same shape. It's a circle with a, you know, almost like a pie wedge out of it. And then back three quarter, kind of the same thing. St- front on, kind of a circle. So it's like, these just like sort of a, the level of, there's a level of absurdity to the design too, into the yeah. animation. But that doesn't mean you're just trying to do it crappy. It, you're you're kind of um, using a There's lot a sophistication of sophistication to it. I mean, if if we're to be self-aggrandizing, and I do love that, I love that you said it. Um, but if we're gonna, but but I think just descriptively, we're doing like uh, you have to come up with ideas for it not to look like shit. <laughs> because <laughs> you'll have like an incredible design and, and this is like typical for a designer like craig kelman is like what an insanely awesome design do i ever want to move it maybe not because it it really looks perfect um and i'm afraid that if i move it or if i turn it uh it's gonna look like shit but actually what you end up having to do is kind of read come up with more ideas the way a designer would do like you can't just literally turn some of these things. You have to come up with ideas. So it's like an idea-rich uh, style of animation. And it's kind of cheeky and silly because you can see, and you can see this in the old cartoons from the 50s. You're like, oh, you did this weird thing because obviously you can't turn, um, you know, let's just say Mr. Magoo that way. It doesn't make sense. He's too flat, but you did have to do a thing and then you had to kind of create it. And so there's a sort of like almost like a, uh, you're almost inviting an audience to be like, look how dumb this is <laughs> and look how fun also. And it's almost, it almost feels like participatory. You're like, bear with us. We're now going to turn the character in a way that we never should. Um, and I think that's, that uh, happens in Powerpuff Girls and you get this sort of ancillary kind of like uh, absurd kind of uh, fun silliness, but also it can be really well executed. And yeah, there could be, you know, it's not like there's nothing when you say nuance, I think any great artist is going to be a, did we say nuance? You said something else. Sophisticated. Sophisticated. Great artist is going to have a level of sophistication. I definitely wouldn't say that the style is somehow uh, that that's a hallmark, right? But uh, there's a particular quirkiness that ends up and it's very easy to dismiss it and then get it wrong. Like if you're going like, oh, whatever, it's just graphic bullshit. And and you do something, you easily make it ugly and, and horrible. Uh, and because you, at the end of the day, you still wanna be funny. You still want to make it convincing enough that it works in that world. And also you're being a little artful. You're not just going, it's not like, um, and this is not to disparage it, but it's, it's not like South Park where it's like pretty, um simple the way they've broken mm-hmm. that down but it's really similar because i think that paper cutout look is is kind of instructive in a way 
and it gives it a little bit of like, oh, they're not really squashing and stretching and moving things the way like a Disney inspired animator would do. They might do a little bit of that, but a lot of the time they're just doing odd stuff. Mm-hmm. They're unhinging the head from the from the body. They're sinking it in. They're like doing things to achieve. I think in that we're trying to get like a level of posing. So we're actually hitting poses in a in a kind of a, a, a caricatured and uh, clever way, and maybe reminiscent of like. Um, you know, even old Warner Brothers or uh, Harvey Kurtzman, the Mad Magazine car- cartoonist, where there's a vocabulary of posing, but you're not, you're no longer kind of limited by having to describe form all the time. Like, oh, well, the arm would fit into the, no, you can just have an arm coming from behind wherever yeah. and the head's so big or who gives, you know, like, who cares? Um, so, uh, so there's a lot of freedom and there's a lot of experimentation, uh, ideally. And there's a lot of great artists who did that. And, and actually you could see it in those cartoons in the fifties. And you had, you know, kind of heady dudes that are coming from Europe and they have really intense color theories and things like that. And they're, and, and they're playing with, with that kind of stuff. So there is probably and absolutely a level of sophistication. It just doesn't mean that only gets to exist in that world as, you know, can be seen in, in, uh, like the comic work of Bill Sienkiewicz mm-hmm. or in uh, the Spider-Verse stuff or in a lot of stuff. Just that's the most obvious uh, things I can think of at the moment. So, yeah, and it was also, there was something fun about that early uh, Clone Highs. It was, it was a little bit of a, like sort of a, it was so small. It was such a, it, the, the uh, we were actually working with a crew at Nelvana. I don't know if you don't know about Nelvana Studios. Yeah. They did a movie, in the 80s called rock and rule which i'd recommend it's pretty cool it's like a uh uh full animation um i think lou reed does a voice deborah harry does a voice it's it's kind of like a devil at the crossroads story it takes place in the future it's it's kind of if you've never seen it before it's kind of unbelievably cool you said it's rocket rule rock and rule as a rock and roll but rule um And a lot of the guys who had worked on that movie were were working on Clone High now. And I think uh, Chris and Phil were sort of savvy enough to like, hey, let's do an episode where they can just totally go off rock and roll style. And so we did the episode where I think uh, Marilyn Manson is a character and then uh, Jack Black is a, oh, no, 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 no. I'm conflating. Sorry. All the like true fans are going to be like, what the hell did you just say? Uh, it was the... It was the Jack Black episode, and it was the character of the pusher was very similar to the villain in the, in the movie Rock and Roll. And so they like kind of encouraged the Nelvana artists to sort of like pull that out of themselves and do kind of a rock and roll vibe again. If if you don't know the movie, I understand it's gonna be a little, you're getting a little lost, but trust me, it's amazing. Um <laughs> anyway. <laughs> but it was a fun experience. It was, it was basically uh uh the studio in LA was just um the writers chris and phil uh me and dexter and then mike moon who's an executive now was doing um basically production designer and uh did background keys freelance Mm -hmm. um and i'm pretty sure chris and phil were doing color keys like it was just like whoever was on hand was doing stuff we were doing storyboard Mm -hmm. revisions we had to do that um we were doing props and we were doing you know uh uh character designs and uh uh, and then we'd have to ship stuff out at like 4 p.m. I think 
I think we would get stuff from Nelvana and we would like, we would kind of go over it. Be like, mm-hmm. oh, put it on style or whatever it is and then ship it to Korea. Um, and uh, yeah, it was like, it was like a, it, it, and it was in the MTV studios in um, Westwood, I think. Um, and oh, next door to us, they're making the Osborne. So it was like, it was the editing team that was working and Osborne's hadn't come out yet. So it was like, oh, they're doing a reality show on Ozzy Osborne. Oh, that's crazy. Um, what the and, fuck is that? And this building was so weird. It was kind of like labyrinthine and like, I can't even describe it, what they were going for, but there was like a lot of walkways and just, mm-hmm. it was like lots of trees and we would go off cigarette breaks and we would like run into the Osborne editors and uh, yeah. Um, it was uh, it was pretty fun. Oh, we played a lot of foosball, and the and the foosball oh, table foosball. went with Chris and Phil wherever they went. They went to so many. I'm sure it's still there, or they have some version of it. Um, and uh, yeah, so um, that's kind of a rundown of like of oh, uh, also, I think I was working on a season of um. It was kind of the post-feature season of the Powerpuff Girls, and mm. I kind of left in the middle. Um, and uh, um, and then and and then uh, Dexter Smith came over too. Um, man, I think I ran out of at least overview stuff. Might be able to go mm. into anecdotes, but I don't know if I can think of any that are like shareable. Um, uh, but uh, I think it was like a high, it was a high quality writing team. And then we did our best. And I think what I think was outstanding about that show is I don't think anybody had combined, combined the sort of the design sensibility with the kind of writing that you had in, uh, in um, uh, primetime uh, animation, where it's mm-hmm. like kind of level up in terms of comedy writing. Um, and then you have like the sort of high concept and then you have like the graphic style of that show was pretty unique. And then, Sadly, and I think everybody, actually, I don't know if everybody knows, I keep on hearing from people, they don't necessarily know the story, but but um, at the time, uh, MTV was also doing, uh, what was that fight show? It was like Claymation, and they would just pit two historical oh, Celebrity deathmatch. Yeah, yeah it's celebrity, and they had one with, with Gandhi, and we had yeah. a guy, and, and, and it was almost like the early cancellation, and it was uh, somebody uh, in India was blogging about that, like, look, MTV mm-hmm. hates Gandhi. Like they obviously have it in for him, um, you know. Fuck these guys, and it became a massive uh, groundswell and, and protest. And I think, uh, um, <laughs> just I had his name, but it, Mr. Lawrence uh, was in India at the time, um, and uh, and he heard like I think there might have even been hunger strikes. Mm-hmm. Or that's just like the, you know, I've seen the movie Gandhi too many times. Uh, but it was at a level of like, look, you pull this show and you stop making fun of Gandhi or we take Viacom off of our cable package. So it was like pretty dire. Uh, and um, and so like, I don't think I don't think uh, a company like Viacom feels like they have a choice. It's just over. Um, so since we when we've revived clone high uh gandhi was like size i I get the feeling people don't necessarily understand there was some kind of like you know that we were caving or something which just like was literally we couldn't do it if you want to do a show you couldn't do with gandhi and it's it's like it's that simple yeah um 
even though you could make an argument like there's nothing, we don't have any hostility and he's in keeping with every character in the show, which is like a, a very unrealized version of the of their cloned um, mm -hmm. their cloned parents counterpart. Yeah, on that, and that that uh, persists, you know, in the show today. It's like they they're um, deeply flawed, failed versions, and they, and it's what would happen. It's kind of what happens to the kids of famous people. It's like you can't possibly li live up to this legacy, but that's the plan. Um, you're doomed to fail. <laughs> so um, you're fucked, kid. What's that? I said you're fucked, kid. Yeah, and it and it and it plays into this, you know, obviously, sort of the a comedic structure where it's like, um, yeah, uh, the level of failure, the more epic it is, the the, the more rich it is um, to mine for comedy. And like, I, I have a tendency to want to talk about the writing of that show, maybe more than I'm probably qualified to do, uh, but I'm fascinated by uh, that sensibility, obviously. Uh, and I think it did trickle down into the artwork. So it's like, it's the same, I think, uh, ideally that that should happen. I, th I feel like the spirit that infuses the, you know, the creation of a thing should trickle down into other aspects. And there's a tendency in animation to sort of segregate and go like, hey, animation team, just draw the stuff and make it look mm -hmm. like the way we approved it. And, uh, and we're done here. Um, and those guys, uh, we're way more open to a sort of more collaborative approach or an additive approach, maybe more importantly, uh, in that like, hey, it doesn't stop when you've written it. Now you get to do like another layer of interpretation and plussing the story. And I think they've always worked that way. And I think that's, uh, it, you know, it's, it's sort of the one of the things that, that animation does well is it sort of layering, you know, levels of, of interpretation and plussing if there's, that's not even a word. I so hate the word oh. plussing. I end up putting it on yeah. my time card. Um, what's your job? Storyboard plussing. Like what? <laughs> I'm pumping you... this shit up. Yeah, totally. Now, with with um, something like that, I wanted to circle back real quick to uh, something you'd said with with the early days of cancellation like that, um, or the, at least the first waves of you know a slight cancellation like like something like Phil and Chris would have went through. Um, with this and the show being canceled and, you know, being threatened to be mm -hmm. pulling Viacom from every station in India was mm -hmm. something like that. And I'm pretty sure we'll come right back to clone high right after that. How do they go from that to a big movie like cloudy with the chance of meatballs? I mean, was it right off the bat a success for that movie? I mean, were anybody else in line to direct and create that or how'd that work out? Okay. So uh, I'm going to give you a, a version that's probably wrong. But <laughs> that I can should only be the title of your book. And I put it together. I think things I heard, things like that. And I, and honestly, a lot of it's chatter when I went to Sony. So uh, to sort of uh, do a brief version of how that started is, uh, of, I think Phil called me and asked me if I knew of any designers, character designers that could help him with a movie. And I was like, <laughs> You're talking hey. to a guy. Um, and uh, which I was funny. I was just talking about this with my girlfriend is it is it uh it 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 felt like um he didn't have a perspective of like a designer he has a, he's been working uh you know as a writer creator you know director producer obviously at the time even though he'd been a staff writer i don't know if he understood like the leveling up it is to go from a tv designer to suddenly be have a feature position it might he might have like thought of it or he might have just been kind of playing it down but i was like uh yeah yeah i'll take the job jesus christ oh oh you're available like i would make myself available. 
it also could have been like sometimes you kind of like you're coy with that kind of stuff you don't want to hire people away because that's like a no-no um and then so i started uh at sony in like i guess it was like 2006 ish uh and um it was a, a really cool sort of uh visual development building i don't think it's that they have it anymore but it was like behind the main huge sort of sony building uh it was almost like a house and uh and they were they were working on a couple movies there um the other one was a uh, uh hotel t hotel transylvania mm-hmm. um it had gone through and um and i think it, these these movies have something in common i think they went through a series of directors trying to find uh the right fit and and um interestingly uh Clyde of the chance of meatballs it was a children's book i think it's a caldecott winner pretty good um and uh <laughs> it was I think it was pitched by Chris and Phil. I think I could be wrong. It was somebody's favorite book. I don't know if it was, um, you know, the head of Sony's favorite mm-hmm. children's book or something. Like it was like, hey, we can pitch this to these people. They'd be really into it. Um, and they did a version of the book that's very like very interpretive. It's like, well, we don't need grandpa. <laughs> like, you know, like I think it's like grandpa and the kid or kids or something. But there's imagery throughout it that's like really fun. There's like something undeniably fun about the book Cloudy with a Chance of Meatballs. It's like, oh yeah, it'd be cool. Pancakes like came down and then kids yeah. are playing on it, like covered school. There's no school, but you can play on the pancake. Um, and that's about all I remember from <laughs> No, it's a great book. Okay. So don't don't do that um it's just it's like so di- like it's so different from what they ended up because it's like it was done in the 70s there's like a bit of like a cross hatching almost maybe crumb reminiscent but really maybe more thomas nast i don't know but it's got a kind of a 70s cross hatchy illustrative feel and it's got this sort of like very like sweet innocent vibe um mm-hmm. and it really just plays into those sort of like almost like kid fantasy level in a way that I think I think it's, it's what's kind of special about a lot of really popular children's books. It's like, yeah, kids would love this scenario. A giant, delicious food rains from the sky. But I think that's literally the only concept they kept from the book, and then they developed this cast around that. And then it, uh, I think they were brought in as board artists, possibly writers, but I think board artists. It's like, you guys aren't directors. You're, I mean, I think they staffed a... a, a, a there were staff writers on How I Met Your Mother and, and they'd worked in animation and obviously they'd uh, uh, been showrunners on uh, Clone High. But I think they wanted to go through the sort of like, we have you know, tenured, you know, experienced uh, directors, feature directors. And uh, I think they had teams of them. And I don't remember, remember who they were, honestly. But, uh, and I, they weren't there when, when I got there, obviously it was Chris and Phil there. So they were the third um, sort of like, iteration um like mm-hmm. and I, I think the choice was made was like okay well let's just go after they try these sets of directions like let's we're not feeling it yet why don't we go to the guys who pitched it and see what they have in mind because they obviously have a vision for this and something that they would do um and i think there's something exciting i think for um there's probably something really also nerve-wracking for uh you know executive producers people are running a a, a thing and they want to go like hey let's what if we just tried something and who knows, maybe we'll strike gold. And I think they they did. Uh uh and and um because the sensibility was pretty fresh. Um we managed to get a crew that was really good 
uh, being under the gun and just kind of just cranking out really good work. And everybody was on the same page uh, in terms of what what uh, what we wanted. Um, but it was rocky getting there. Like it was a it was a studio with some pretty uh, entrenched sort of um, styles and ways of doing things from prior, previous movies, and sort of like a sense that we're we're making features, and mm-hmm. there's a maybe a Disney template for that. So we're not not messing too much with that idea. Um, they were unique though. They had like they had a great. Uh, I think Carter Goodrich was a designer that that did some amazing stuff, and uh, and then. Um, uh, and then I'm 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 blanking a little bit on his last name, but a, a French designer named Sylvain did uh, did um, I think it was called Surfs Up just prior. Uh, so they had a thing. There, there was something. Maybe if they had a look or if they had a brand at Sony, it was almost like the the, the designs were always kind of interesting, and the 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 tone of the films were light and funny. Um, and but there was something about. I mean, it doesn't seem. It seems like um i'm i'm making a big deal out of it but it was like taking a tv style that was basically considered flat um mm-hmm. i might call it graphic uh but definitely plays a form and does definitely does feel like like i said sometimes paper cut out or some but it's also very interpretive and it's definitely non-literal and uh uh that I, that was something that, that justin would say a lot and um that just it just what it felt like a little bit like um i think that coupled with the fact that that uh chris and phil were new um to directing it was like a really difficult transition for a lot of people like you, you had a bunch of artists there that had to get on board and they didn't necessarily agree with the artists the team they just lost like the team just before of really talented directors and, and designers. They just, mm-hmm. it's like, we're going in a new direction. Have you heard the cliche? It's it's really a shit thing to hear if you're not that direction. And so there was understandable um, uh, bristling. Um, and, but eventually they kind of staffed it with the people that they wanted. They kept some people from uh, the earlier sort of crews, um, but they brought in Justin. Oh, uh, they they asked me if I would do background. Like, could you do some like background stuff, environment stuff? I'm like, I, I could, but uh, I mean, I'd probably take too long. And <laughs> I know people who do it really well because I think they were trying they were trying everything, and they wanted mm-hmm. something representative. I think they had a lot of artists working on things. They were like trying to find a thing, things they were used to seeing from artists like Mike Moon. Um, you know, where there's just an instinctive um sort of um sort of grasp of of the style and then they could add ideas on top of that because they weren't just going like hey let's do the cartoon network look but then we'll turn it into they wanted to start there but then they had all these ideas that were kind of like they're kind of like metamodern postmodern ideas on top of that mm-hmm. and they're like we want this town to be disgusting and uh and and kind of pathetic and run down but mid-century and uh just you know, they, they love like things like brutalist architecture and things that, that that there's like a level of visual humor that they like to bring to the table. And I think they've always been sort of like workshopping these kinds of ideas that were informed by like their their pretty rich understanding of art history and architectural history because um, they're pretty heady guys. They went to a fancy Ivy League school and um, 
And so they wanted to do something, but they had to start with getting the staff that they wanted to do kind of like instinctively do that kind of a style and also interpreted it in 3D, which wasn't, uh, people weren't quite getting how to do that. I wasn't even necessarily able to figure that out. That happened um, as we were going, but it, it was kind of all there. Like we want Miroslav Sasek, who's the, the Czech uh, children's book artist who did books like This is Paris and This is London and This is New York. If you've ever seen those big children's mm-hmm. books. Uh, yeah. And we also love the Muppets. Oh. So it's like these are things that feel very disparate, but that, that there's like kind of a, there's a, I feel there's an intuitive marriage of that in that movie where it's like you have like, oh, it feels, when you go wide, it feels like it could be like a Sasek book. And then you go close, they're Muppets. <laughs> because mm-hmm. Sasek, Sassic people are pretty simple. They're really simplistic. And I think there was a little bit of a struggle going like, how are we going to get this really graphic style that really tends to, you only see from two angles, um, you know, the front and the side really. And maybe like a cheated, uh, when I say three quarter, it's like between side. If I sound like I'm being uh, condescending, just tell me. But like when you're like, <laughs> yeah, this you're side, this is front and this is three quarter. And most of the things you see in character design and in movies is either kind of a slight front or a three quarter, right? Mm-hmm. Like over the shoulder stuff and all that kind of stuff. Um, uh, and, 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 and in the style of things like Samurai Jack or the old, old stuff, the three quarter and profile were often the same silhouette. Like if you look at Gandhi, it's literally like dirt, 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 three quarter. Then the only thing that changes from when he goes into his profiles, the glasses change their position, the gear kind of shifts, <laughs> but you're still looking at the same silhouetted graphic shape. But to do something like that in CG is like, how do you do that? I think uh, they, I, when I got there, I think they were tired of being told that they couldn't do a thing. Um, but I was still like, I'm not sure how you do like, for example, something that's cubist in CG, because wouldn't you have to just come up with a new concept every time you because everything's so editorial if that's the right word it's like when when you see a different angle on a lot of contemporary art it's not like you're just going you're rotating it necessarily you might you could um mm-hmm. now that i've gotten like a little i think i've gotten a little more well-rounded as an artist there may be a way to do that but uh but really you're kind of like what you end up doing with a show like um with a movie like cloudy is you're building a set with the same concepts that are in the Miroslav Sasek illustrations, but they're like 3D. So if you look at a Miroslav Sasek illustration, no lines are parallel. That's something you can actually do when you're when you're uh, doing a sculptural sort of interpretation of it. The other thing that happens is, is all the structures kind of lean. They tend to lean the same direction. Sometimes there's a kind of an anchor like vertical and then i'm getting kind of technical in here probably not technical enough in some ways and then maybe (laughs) something like this if you look at like old toontown stuff you know like from the 80s everything's kind of wow that goes like Mm -hmm. yeah it gets fat at the top it's the opposite of that so the tendency sometimes for artists when they get oh we're doing a wacky cartoon thing i can do that we i worked on toontown (laughs) and it was literally inverted from what we were doing Mm -hmm. so uh, so no parallel lines, everything's shifting a little bit to the left or something, and uh, uh, and wide at the bottom, not wide at the top, right? Um, and then that's simple enough when you're talking to modelers to just sort of follow those basic rules. But then on top of that, you're kind of like, uh, I think 
as a designer, you're thinking about it in terms of like, how do we look at something where it feels like it's from two angles? So if you have a wide shot, can you do it? So like, if you're looking at a park, you're kind of almost looking at it like it's a map, but then mm -hmm. some things are in perspective and you're playing with it. Um, and I don't know how often we were super successful with that. And that's definitely Justin's department and not so much mine, but you'll, that's kind of a look of a Sassic children's book or even a Mary Blair uh, illustration from that era. You know, she did magazine covers and stuff or cartoons from that era is that you would look at something from an angle, but you're really seeing multiple angles at once, which is, I'm guessing is like sort of a trickle down from cubism. Um, but I think, uh, persists today and is an illustration all the time. You see these kinds of things and you're really just concerned with the overall graphic shape. And then that graphic shape and the color are all relating to ideas. And this is what's, what's interesting about the style. And I think I've already sort of laid a lot of groundwork is you're doing, um, you're commenting and you would do this. You do this. People do this in live action movies. It's just almost, you're kind of stripping away a lot of the things they might do in a movie to make you, to convince you that you're in a real environment. You're stripping the things away to your, just to sort of like the barest sort of like design elements. So in a way you're kind of sharing the joke. You're, you're not hiding these, you're being more overt with these sort of uh, design choices, if that makes any sense. So yeah. uh, it's an aesthetic and it's not for everybody. And hopefully we did it so it could get to that level of alienation because that's what it's being done successfully is that happy people would be like, no. <laughs> but I think really people have the hardest time with it are people who have spent their lives trying to make convincing uh, animated stories. And by the way, they, I, I, I work on things like that too. Probably not as much because I, I do a lot of cartoon stuff, but I definitely do things where they follow, uh, you know, um, actual construction and perspective and follow the rules and have vanishing points and things like that. Uh, whereas this stuff is going to be, you know, it uses what it wants whenever it wants to. Um, and sometimes it, there might be perspective and if you want to get a dramatic shot and sometimes it's totally flat and uh, graphic and you'll notice that in, in uh, probably the best example of this is uh, lately is, is, is the, the latest um, uh, Spider-Verse. Mm -hmm. um, because you can see how interpretive they're getting with color and you can see it, it, it actually breaks down. You're looking at not just paintings and drawings, but really loose, almost childlike line. If you look at it, especially in the spider Gwen sequences. Um, and that's a big part of the style too, is you're getting interpretive and you're getting subjective almost from the character's point of view. It, 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 I should say that's not a rule so much as like it enables you. So mm -hmm. if you can be really interpretive with your, with the graphics, the graphic art, my cat is angry. Um, <laughs> uh, <laughs> then you can, um, you you can you can uh, you know, like as I was saying, you can, you're marshalling all this stuff to sort of support an idea, and it might be your sort of um, your uh, sort of like bigger idea, um, or it might be a story idea, um, but you have an opportunity to do things that are much more interpretive and fun definitely fun to execute um polarizing to watch but i think at the end of the at the end of the day my favorite cliche at the end of the day if you're watching some especially something like spider-verse but and cloudy which is maybe it's almost like an embryonic version of what we were you know like of, of what they ended up doing at, at uh in those movies is uh it's fun i think audiences are fine they don't care mm -hmm. they probably don't even think about it that much 
Um, and they might get a sort of a subliminal sense. This is the idea. It's like, do audiences give a rat's ass that like what a style is or what it's doing? But do they, probably not, but do they pick it up subliminally? They kind of get it. Does it. Is there like an overall kind of vibe that they're getting? And does it serve the storytelling? And is it, you know, is it communicating uh, to make a, use a really boring word? Um, I don't think you need a specific style. I know some people follow, like people will follow you. People will follow, you know, Dave. People will follow everybody because they like a specific style. Comic books yeah. are the same. Books sure. are the same. I just yeah. want something that I can suspend disbelief for an hour and a half, two hours. You got to yeah, give me that. Absolutely. I'm a fan so, 100%. Okay, so you nailed it. So the, uh, and uh, what you want is an immersive experience, right? Mm -hmm. Or, you know, if you want to be obnoxious, you like want to smack people in the face so they don't get immersed. <laughs> I don't know. That happens too. Uh, although that's that again, everything has to kind of serve what you're doing. You're still looking at eyes. These are big budget movies. You're not messing around with like just personal expression and doing whatever you want. It would, it would almost be like, it, it doesn't make sense to do that. If you're working on projects like this, they have big crews. Everybody has to kind of be on the same page and they all have to kind of buy in and nobody's going to buy into like, I just want to do this thing. Cause who cares? Um, there at least has to be like, wouldn't it be cool if, and then everybody's like, yeah, that would be really cool. I've never seen that. Um, and uh, ideally it's like, it's all kind of pointing the same direction. It's all ends mm -hmm. up just like a composition is leading your eye, everything about the design of a movie and the way the story unfolds is kind of leading you um, and guiding you through, you know, a series of ideas. Yeah. And it's, it's, it's sound, I'm making it sound like it's like a, there's like a really like cerebral sort of scientific process to it. It's all done as it unfolds, things break down and then you try to fix it. And then, then you screen it and, and uh, it's disappointing and nobody gets it and it's super dumb. And you go, fuck, what was I thinking? This is like, a, as you're making a movie and there's every movie, by the way, it's not just, you know, these Sony movies. And you take it back and like, what is this missing? And you go, oh, okay. it's obviously it's this, you know, it's probably something related to the way people are connecting with the characters emotionally. So mm -hmm. maybe like, okay, as long as we hit these marks, you know, everything else should sort of, and like, oh, this, this story has actually become a thing that I didn't anticipate. I think that's a lot of stuff. Um, unless you're like somebody like Stanley Kubrick, you know, you're kind of letting the story kind of unfold and tell you what it wants to be. It, it's possible that happened with Stanley Kubrick too. But it, I think the legend is that he knew exactly what he wanted and he like did it until it was perfect. Um, but I think uh, a lot of movies, especially innovative movies, have to find their own way and you have to get out of the way of the movie um and i think that's kind of the strength of those guys it's the strength of of, of guys like justin as they kind of understand that they understand that, mm -hmm. it, that it's going to be a more interesting ride and more interesting watch if you don't kind of don't know where you're going because it's kind of the way you watch a story anyway like i don't know what's going to happen and mm -hmm. so i think it, in a writing process in an artistic process you have to surprise yourself and there's no I'm pretty sure there's no um, uh, really clear roadmap for that. You have to discover it because audiences are really savvy. They've seen every movie generally. Mm -hmm. They're movie lovers and they get bored easily and they've seen every outcome. And so you have to kind of like outdo yourself, but 
you, you it's not going to happen by outthinking yourself and out, and being super clever. You're going to have to sort of like rely on the people to come up with things and then kind of like look at it. And like I've definitely never seen anything like this. This is weird. And sometimes you're like, oh, this is weird and great. Let's go. Like you can see that in in this the new Spider Verse movie. I'm, I'm probably getting derailed because I'm talking about that too much. But uh, <laughs> no, you're perfect. It was fun, absolutely man. like that. It was like. Is this the character? No, it's this. Um, like mid midway through making the movie, and they had a pretty strong idea of what they wanted when I got there on Cloudy. But I think also they were working out the particulars and the and the way the story unfolded. They had an idea of the kind of story they wanted to tell, and then, um, yeah, the movie kind of reveals itself to you. And uh, characters, and this happens in TV shows too, where the characters kind of emerge that maybe you hadn't. You hadn't considered them, but the a performance um, kind of locks in or chemistry between two of the, two of the performers in the, in the show. And then the writers go, oh, this is actually more, more interesting than what we were doing. Mm -hmm. um, let's focus on this and let's actually change it to this thing that might have come out in like an improv or might have come out in just the way the performance was sort of like was was a, a coming together. And it's similar in animation. It can happen, but it happens on multiple levels. And happen, honestly, that happens on live action in live action too. But it's like um, you have uh, um, people working on story, and uh, you, you might have a script, but then you have people working on it piecemeal and storyboards. So like, what happens when you actually see it? Is this a is this an animation experience or is this you cohesive know, working? Um, yeah. And and all the other thing is those guys they like to break stuff. They break stuff so much, and I think it's because. <laughs> understand that they're not they they kind of have to outdo themselves every time which is horrifying but it's also like um i'm hunting a mosquito right now as we speak um <laughs> it's it's like it's like it's like breaking eggs to make omelets you know that old thing it's it's like if if you have to outdo yourself i mean that's that sucks that's <laughs> a lot of pressure you really are it's a lot of pressure and a lot of people fold and a lot of sequels disappoint. Um, so I guess you just have to just kill yourself trying to, I don't mean like literally end your life, yeah. but like really like hurt yourself trying to get something. And that was, I mean, it was already true with cloudy and I think it was doubly true with spider verse. And then it was like triple, like triple down for their sequel from what I hear. Um, is it it's, it's just there's no shortcut there's no formula for the spider-verse and you get that when you're watching you're like what the hell is gonna happen like what um and i'm old so i was like i was like there's a lot of stuff going on i don't know like, oh <laughs> like, i get to an emotional beat and i'm like oh yeah okay i get it now i guess i don't have to understand what's happening with the science you just gotta suspend disbelief, man. You just well, gotta. Well, you just gotta. Uh, you're calling all a lot of crazy, cool stuff is happening. You're like oh, that's really cool. And you're like, I don't know what the hell's happening, and then emotional beat, and you're like, oh, okay, okay. yeah. And that's it right. kind of goes back and forth between those two things. It's, yeah, that's, a, that's a it's literally my experience good. of it. Like, I have no idea what's happening. Was I supposed to track something? Who is that? <laughs> ah. Um, I should write a review. My boomer experience watching Spider Verse. <laughs> Across to the Spiders, um, the name uh, of your book, right? There, but right but there. they they have you in mind, which is what's great. Is they go like, we got you. Like, look, here's we're gonna slow down. It's really about this. It's really about this family and these characters that are you know need to connect in this way and need to you know heal their relationship. Or it's like very relatable, and it's like so you're working on several levels, 
and, it, and you also can it's it's not like it's impossible to get the the artistic level because like oh you're experimenting you have literally different universes in this story so it's giving you the opportunity to really stretch out as an artist and give audiences an experience that only like an artist could could do you know it's like a, a it's like that's definitely taking another step up from what's written on the page and getting mm -hmm. and, and really stretching yourself out and trying to interpret something on that and uh uh <laughs> yeah i'm talking about a movie i never worked on but it's just so illustrative of that of the concepts of that, that were going on even back uh with colin high and with cloudy particularly with cloudy um and i think you that, think they the, broke the, animation with like, this? this is really weird and like did we get it and then afterwards like i think we that was pretty good and then later we're like oh there's a lot of stuff that we didn't really do as good as we wanted to do and uh uh and then yeah, life goes on. And you work on new projects and things like that, and you, you hit that. Um, you think they uh, broke animation with this movie, and not broke animation in a bad way? I'm they, they break everything. Um, they broke, and, and it's, it's like implied in the subject matter, right? Because you're like yeah. breaking universe. Um, yeah, that's like that's the classic. Like everything about the stuff they do is so meta. It's the metaverse. Um, uh, <laughs> I don't even know how they top this, you know, in terms of subject matter um, that they're doing they're breaking the wall and they're like breaking, they're just breaking every convention. You know, like, Hey, we did this thing, but now we're going to do this thing. And who cares? It's like, whatever, we're just on for the ride. And there's like a bunch of universes. What are you going to do? You can't keep track of it all. And it's potentially like, what the fuck? It's too much. And then like, <laughs> but it isn't, it ends up being like, I've never seen anything like that in my life. And I'm going to go out and I'm going to, I'm gonna drive drunk. No, I, you know, you, you know, it's invigorating. <laughs> I've never felt more alive. That's a bad idea. Um, it really is, ladies and gentlemen. Don't drink and drive. <laughs> don't drink and drive. I'm glad we got to the real point of this whole conversation. Uh, yeah, like like the Spider Man. You know, we we talk a whole bunch of shit. We do a whole bunch of stuff here. Miles the Morales right here does yeah. not drink and drive. I don't think no, he drives. So be be like Miles Morales, <laughs> ladies and gentlemen. Um, um, anyway, back to Cloudy. <laughs> um, <laughs> Cloudy was interesting because the whole time, and get, going back to the idea of like breaking uh, things, um, it's very much the spirit of uh, of those guys, of Phil and Chris, mm -hmm. to be kind of butting their heads up against a kind of ossified system where you have like a, literally, I mean, they call it a factory, I believe, it's and a pipeline, and all these things that sound very like hard and you know kind of like inflexible mm -hmm. and it's scary and there's like millions of dollars involved and they've already sunk millions of dollars into the thing so it's intimidating potentially except they're really stubborn and they're like no we want to try this thing and i'm like this you know the the factory part would be like mm, we can't do that thing oh really you can't do that thing let's try to do that thing we really can't do it it was just like oh and like okay i guess we can do that thing and it was just like uh a bit of a fight and by the way um and I, i'm not doing this just to try to like uh save it that that studio is incredible and like was incredibly underrated at the time they made that um because i think a lot of attention was on studios like uh pixar or literally just on pixar but i think dreamworks was there too but although you know not um, nobody was on the level of pixar right uh but i think sony was kind of low-key doing really great looking movies and they weren't spending as much money uh to get the looks they were getting uh, and they had really talented animators that were blowing my mind when I was seeing stuff come back for tests for uh, 
body. It was funny. We would do like a first pass. And it was like, oh, no, maybe we can't do this thing. Maybe it's impossible. And then when they really started like doing tests on the final designs, it was like, holy shit. Like I didn't realize it could actually get to this level of performance. Mm -hmm. I didn't even know that you could do that with these designs. Um, so that's like the caliber of, of, of animators they had. And they had brilliant modelers too, who kind of took could take things to the next level. I I had designed um, uh, the Mr. T character, um, the cop guy. Uh, yeah. I can't hide from the fact that I can't uh, pull up his name in my memory. It's but, right, and I'll I'll pull it up real quick. Voice by Mr. No, don't don't tell. It's it, I'm going to feel like even more of a loser if I can't somehow bring good, it out. Good, good. I hope you do. I hope I want you to. This no, is from there. Justin. There. Justin. I can feel Justin it. Told it's screaming at me, but it's like I'm like I'm too. I got too much going on in my brain. Anyway, uh, Hal's dad. How about that? Um, there was a, like every character in that movie had kind of its own signature, mm -hmm. uh, and it was a, a little Earl. bit inspired by a UPA cartoon called uh, Toot. No, Rudy Toot Toot. Mm -hmm. uh, and uh which had incredible designs and animation uh by an animator called grim natwick who actually did betty boops and he did snow white and he did like incredible animation on that and what's interesting about that cartoon is like it, it's like every style of animation is interpretive it's like oh this character moves this way a really stylized particular way then this character, it's like they're not relying on things it's not like warner brothers like oh it's like the funny walk or they do this Obviously, there are character-specific walks and things like that for you know Daffy Duck as opposed to Bugs yeah. Bunny, but these were like definitely making graphic statements, and it was like a one-off. They just did one of these things. It was like a kind of a ballad of Frankie and Johnny, and there's probably some like uh, history to that. Uh, it's like a very adult show. It's about like uh, infidelity and murder, <laughs> and uh, it might have won an Academy Award too, but. Anyway, the concept of like, oh, you're doing graphic stuff, and you're doing like a different statement with every character that's kind of um again uh you can see these kinds of ideas in, in a disney movie like obviously mm -hmm. they're gonna move a little differently but it's a little more locked into physics uh and a bit of naturalism uh and this is getting more interpreted so it's like, what if this guy moved like this and this guy moved like this and this guy would, like had the little de -de 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 legs under the shirt that you can't really see what's going on with the body. And this character moves like super extreme and like makes these intense statements with every pose he gets into. And that was like the Mr. T character. And also the way he was modeled was I, I thought he should, he was, he had a lot of anatomy and that can get kind of, um, um, sort of basic and and basically interpretive in animation you go oh he's like a muscular character got it so there's a couple things that have to go on we're pushing proportions to be very cartoony but then to get it into this sort of like modern thing because you're looking at a 3d thing so how do you get it to look modern so it's like mm -hmm. okay you want a modern sculpture so maybe some planes are exaggerated and things shift in a way so they're not the forms aren't so round that there's like a little bit of editorializing going on with like the way the shapes sort of express themselves and very different for him because he's a guy who like looked like a gym rat. Uh, <laughs> and I thought of like, uh, if you've ever heard of the artist, Bernie Hogarth, have you ever heard of this guy? It's I like he made, he so. was a comic artist who did a, an anatomy book and it's the most insane anatomy book you've ever seen. Cause it's like 
what you're breaking things down to planes and like slabs and things like that, but, but create, but, but it's like the anatomy of, of humans. Mm -hmm. um, you have to see this stuff. It's almost like too much. You're like, Oh God, this is horrible. But, um, but it's instructive. And moreover, it's like interpreting it through kind of a funny cartoon ended up being kind of a layer of like, Oh, maybe that's something that now I can kind of connect to because it's kind of funny because it's absurd and weird. And, um, <laughs> And I went to the modeler, uh, and her name we her name was Moon, and uh, I'm really like hitting it out of the park with remembering first surnames. But uh, she and she's like, oh, and I, I I think it was like I wanted to look like Bernie Hogarth, you know how? And she's like, oh, that was my teacher, and she pulls out a book of Bernie Hogarth stuff, and I was like, oh, perfect, yes. <laughs> um, so if you look at mentioned character wow i'm really it's not it's not coming i thought of it i thought i'd be like oh just forget about it you know like names which, which character are you talking about I, i'm talking about the mr t character oh earl thanks um yeah. i googled it so it's not like i pulled it oh, okay okay <laughs> uh so yeah so like for example if you look at his calf there's like edges there's like beveled edges on his anatomy mm -hmm. um and if you look at bernie hogarth uh anatomy books you'll see what i'm talking about um and uh, so, yeah, like some things just kind of come together. And, and so the idea of modeling a character in a very specific way in a different style than, say, you do, like, um, then, you, then you're doing the, the main character, uh, Flint, uh, is, is uh, and being kind of radical about it was what we were doing on that. I don't know if that comes across anymore. It feels like there's, there's been a lot of very cartoon sort of interpretive uh, animated films since then. So, you know, like, you don't necessarily at the time it might have stood out but since then things have kind of like moved in that direction anyway which i'm glad um because i think things should always be fun at that level and if you're doing animation like why bother if, unless you're doing something that requires uh, uh, like a layers of creativity and interpretation um so yeah so every character had their own little concept and then some of them were breaking uh things like if you look at Cal, Earl's son, his head's so big. He's so it weird is. compared to the other characters. And he was the first character designed. And so it was like, I just remember Phil going like, can we make his head bigger? And it's like, it felt good when we got it big. Like, yeah, that's a funny looking character. But then you have to design the rest of the cast. And you're like, are we in his world now? Like, I don't know if we're in Cal's world. Because we got a, there's like the whole cast you have to design. And then we're doing some things that are kind of reminiscent of human proportions mm -hmm. and maybe a less uh, caricatured. But, you know, so things uh, didn't work. But I think, um, I think that's part of the style almost. It's a, it's a kind of like, we tried a thing. Maybe it doesn't work, but you get caught up in the spirit of it, hopefully, and go like, whatever this is a movie where this kid has an enormous head <laughs> he did fine. have a big old noggin it's for fine. Sure. um but yeah uh also there uh chris ricardi made a big impact on that on the character yeah. design because basically i i saw some very graphic designs he did for the character brent and just thought, mm -hmm. like we should just do uh um a design a version of this that just works in 3d as he it was like perfect um and uh and then i think i think um yeah and flint was something that was like took forever to get because 
at every level we were kind of like sabotaging ourselves, and there was we were doing a what's called a sizzle piece mm -hmm. um which is like hey we just want to put together something that gets everybody excited <laughs> i don't even know how this works to this day i just realized but it's something i think the marketing team wants i don't know if they show it to distributors i don't know it's like something they just show to people maybe they show it to uh toy makers or god knows but um it's premature and and we're still trying to figure out what these designs are going to look like and which is so funny, I look at, at the designs now, it's like, oh, of course, you just do this thing. It's like, it's so simple and intuitive. Um, but to get there was like really hard. And so there was a version, there was a version of Flint that basically kind of looked like, like big nose uh, uh, Nosferatu or something. Like, uh, just like a really like creepy design. Um, and and I and something about this also something happens when you go from doing graphic cartoons. They're like, oh, this actually has to be like a sculptural level thing. Mm -hmm. So I was doing little like sculpties of heads and things like that to kind of like, well, how do we get that kind of graphic, kind of pushed look, uh, but then have it work in three D? Like it, it took some like getting my head around it. Um, and so the, the the I don't know if anybody has a copy of that thing. It was the ugliest. Like the characters looked so bad. Um, and I remember the meetings were so sad looking at the, like, well, I hate it. And, uh, I guess that's it approved, <laughs> but a lot, of, like a lot of like intense pain, just getting to even that point. That was like, that was like, we're free now. Yep. It's garbage <laughs> approved. <laughs> and, it, and by the way, it's like, it's not, it's like, not like somebody wasn't hitting their mark. We were all just mm -hmm. like feeling around in the dark for, for what we wanted for that show. And I think it is a pretty unique look as far as, it definitely leans into Muppets, but not just that. There are other things going on there too. Um, and some characters just kind of seem to flow out like, oh, like um, um, Tim, who started out as a, he wasn't Flint's dad in the beginning. <laughs> this is another thing is, is uh, the kind of the translation that happens between artists and, and, and executives which is like uh, the note we got, the big notes we got from um, Amy Pascal when the designs were shown to her, when they were, when they got to the point where we were happy with them is, uh, well, for Flint, it was like, Am I, is his nose too big? And uh, why is he in this jacket that's so tight? There's again, like Nosferatu. Um, and can we open up the jacket? So he's got an open jacket movie but we had him it was like a bean like a weird like snaky body with the with everything buttoned up and uh we were probably pushing things as far as they could go so like so getting as few a notes as we did was pretty good and then as a story note it was like hey uh we're, we feel like we're getting we're not connecting to this character mm -hmm. and um we're not feeling it and can we make this along the lines of a of uh of the disney uh template like and and pixar template is like maybe we care more if it was more of a family story all the characters have been designed like all the, like the money that's used to, for that was spent so it was like can we dig into these characters that have been cut or are minimal and now bring them to the forefront and make tim who's the tackle shop owner who just thinks uh flint is weird uh, you know, make him his dad, yeah. and then, <laughs> and then, and then, who's the mom? 
well, that's another thing is we had to like, uh, and I don't know how to, I, I swear it's going to sound really uh, brutally simplistic, but I think the note was like another way you can get your audience to connect is if his mom dies. Um, and there might be some nuance to that concept. <laughs> Maybe they arrived at it in a roundabout way, but that's literally how this, the board artists and how Chris and Phil were interpreting it, which is like, okay, we have to make it more family centric and mom has got to die. Uh, and, uh, <laughs> I'm sure this has been discussed since then. It didn't feel a little scandalous at the time. Like, seriously, we're going to Bambi this movie? Um, and I think they hated the note so much that they did it almost, they staged it almost like it was a joke. So when mom dies, you smash cut to her tombstone. <laughs> and, uh, but with something that's really interesting about it is like, these are such formulaic kind of horrifying uh, tropes when you talk about them and when they were, when they were, when they were, when they were notes. Uh, and I think this is true for anybody who's, who's good at turning things around like this. It's like you turn into something that still turn into something that you would want to see if you were making that choice mm -hmm. as weird as, a, as the note might seem. So in their case, they're like, Hey, we're kind of, low-key satirizing, even though we're, again, it's a cake and eat it too. You're going to feel things for this character you might not if you didn't know that his mom had just died when he was a kid. Uh, and it does give a story, it's so cheap and so annoying that this is what happens, but it does give a certain amount of emotional weight. Whereas if you're watching a character kind of like be self-indulgent and super nerdy and kind of bumble his way through a cartoon, you, you start to forgive him more when you realize that his mom died when he was young yeah. and he's probably super damaged from that. And then his dad doesn't get him. And it, I mean, and the dad relationship ended up being one of the most fun things in the movie um, because they're so not on the same page. The other thing that happened, it didn't really, it wasn't the thing that happened. It was more like, uh, Okay, so we repurposed this old design uh, of uh, a woman who was a lab assistant for a character that had been excised from the from the movie, but the model had been done. So that's mom, and then dad's Tim from the tackle store. And then the question was, is that is that going to look like his dad? And then we said, yeah, yeah, we think so. Yeah, okay. <laughs> So then, yeah, the ask was, are they going to look like they're genetically related? But it's like this, I don't know if we were in a place where we could really mess around with that too much. And yeah. also we kind of, we kind of loved Tim's design. We didn't want to mess with it. Um, so yeah. So like, yeah, we think so. We think it's, yeah, it looks like him. It, it almost feels like sometimes executives are feeling around in the dark and they're just like, just tell me this is, this thing is working that I can't quite see. Um, and uh uh, yeah, so that was that's the story of Tim, uh, who ended up being one of my favorite characters. Um, he, he was a fun character to to root for, man. Like I said, yeah, I just he ended up being kind of stealing the movie in a way, right? Yeah, well, it's like it's it's. I think everybody can feel. I mean, I've said it so many times in this show. When you can see yourself in a character, or you can see yourself in multiple characters, or you have a personal experience that's like what these characters are going through. I mean, my mom didn't die when I was young, but my dad wasn't in the picture. And then, mm -hmm. you know, as a kid and your dad not in the picture, you just want your dad to understand you. You just want your, you know, you yeah. want to be accepted by the guy you look up to or that's possibly the hero of your story. 
and you know seeing the dynamic between them it was uh i draw a lot of correlations i don't know if it came out around the same time um oh, the other thing, james con another like a brilliant casting i can't imagine another voice he's like yeah. a perfect voice for that character um, yeah, he, he really was he brought the, he, he gave it that home he gave it the soul that that character needed i mean you look yeah. at him on the outside you just like this big gruff guy he used to be a fisherman he's got all these fishing metaphors you know <laughs> he doesn't get his son his son's into tech you know and yeah. it, it, it's just like i said it was just so beautifully done because like on paper they don't look alike at all i mean no extent, <laughs> they were you know to, but it's just the fact they were supposed to totally contrast contrast with one another, one another because the concept was like oh well the town is made of squares it's a square town with square people um because it's rigid in its structure and it's old school and then along comes flint who's made out of triangles you know a, yeah we're being pretentious i'm sorry but uh he's like an inverted triangle in his head loosely obviously rounded and but also it's a good little bit of trapezoid uh going on with his body although you see it less when you uh when you open the jacket up um but there's like wacky things going on with his design so he's supposed to express this sort of like you know yearning to be free of this small town um mentality and environment and the shape and this is a good example like the shapes are telling that story so uh so to so what's interesting though is we the stakes were increased because now his his conflict was is with his dad like it's much mm-hmm. more relatable and, and you know like i feel like it's immersive psychologically like oh i get that i get even if i don't have a dad like this what kind of you had a sense of what it'd be like to yeah. be so fundamentally misunderstood by your parent um and that they actually are not bad people and and then actually the main character does even though we're rooting for him, he does feel like a train wreck mm-hmm. and a mess. Um, so you can relate to dad even more and you don't hate him, uh, which I think is really good. So yeah, there's a lot of things that it, it's just, you know, just what we're saying, like as you're made, the movie kind of tells you what it wants to be. And sometimes it's notes that you think are terrible. Like, Oh, mm-hmm. we're going to have to make parents from designs. We've already done. This is like the worst thing of development you could possibly think of, except and in the case of this, it, it ends up being additive, like really additive. Like it, I can't imagine the movie being a different way. And I think even the way it was boarded, it, I might have started to dislike Flint because I'd be like, what is your problem? And your parent, you're like, I, I wouldn't, you know, I wouldn't have get, gotten as locked into him without mm-hmm. that relationship, I don't think. Um, so, yeah. And, and, and it brings home that conflict. It's not just him fighting the town that doesn't understand him. It's him fighting his own blood and, you know, that stuff and and giving uh and it ends up being more of what they wanted than i think that they thought that they wanted in a way because i think they always want um and especially since that experience they always want like investment emotional investment mm-hmm. along with the kind of oddball ideas and uh breaking things well, like i said you guys absolutely crushed it in this one this one it, oh, it, it it's a lot of fun because it if I was a kid and I see this movie, 
I'm instantly in, in wonderment. Like, can this really happen? Can we make a machine that'll go up to the sky and completely solve, solve <laughs> world hunger, right? You know, it, it's one of those things where, like, you might not think about world hunger as a kid, but you think about stupid little shit. Like, if I made a machine that could do this, I could be this or I could solve this, you know? So it definitely captures, like I said, that childlike wonder. And in an adult, you see it. You see it for so many different layers. I mean, it's a lot like Shrek. It's got so many layers. It's got so much heart. It's got so much soul. It's got so much comedy too and the way that that those two guys and you guys that that worked on this from the writing staff to to the artists how you guys can take so many layers and just fucking intertwine them where it looks like it was yeah, always yeah. like that like that's, and not that's one their brand I mean, ideally it's 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 what you always want to do is you do kind of like a feat that's like sort of mm-hmm. it's got like a, a daredevil quality to it where you're like <laughs> shouldn't work and yet, it does. Um, and honestly, I am often too conservative to want to go down that road. And I think a lot of artists are like that. And we'll hear some of these ideas and be horrified. <laughs> Just like the note, we got horrified. Like, are you kidding? Like, this is going to be hot garbage. Uh, in the case of the note about Flint being, you know, having family and dead mom. And then uh, maybe a different quality of horrified when uh, Chris and Phil give a note, which is usually like, you have to challenge yourself even in the thing that you think is going to be like, oh, this is the cakewalk part. We just need to get from A to B and then we're going to get to the really good set piece after that. Like, no, you have to reconceptualize the connective scene. Yeah. And like challenge yourself to do it weird and and break it, you know, like, oh God, what is this? And can't we just cut and they're already at the thing? No, no. We've got to do this like super uh, ungainly awkward thing to get to the thing. And that becomes almost like a, I'm sorry to use this word, but a kind of a brand. It's sort of like, it's like, I feel like that's the alchemy that it's like, mm-hmm. um, how do we get a animated movie to be different from any other, any other animated movie? We'll do something totally fucked, but kind of cool. Cause I've always wanted to see it, this thing, you know, and, and maybe it doesn't even relate. Hey, do the thing. And then it's like, oh, God. And then you have these very earnest board artists uh, and designers trying to execute this. And then you end up like, you know what? This actually relates. Because mm-hmm. <laughs> everybody's trying really hard to make it. And, you know, and they're coming back and going, okay, this isn't, doesn't work. So let's try something else. And um, and they're constantly doing that. And I think they also have the um, the clout, you know, or the, you know what I mean? The, they have the trust. They've earned the trust of people because they done enough successful movies but they've always done that they've always done things that are terrifying and uh potentially ruinous to a movie well, such a... you feel like you're setting everything behind like what we have to do this like impossible we can just do the easy thing and then we'll be done and then we will be under budget but i think that's just not how they work and that i think that's kind of how they've created such fun movies and it's really hard to make a good movie and that's it's like also a demonstration simultaneously, like how to do it, how it, it's not a shortcut mm-hmm. and how terrifying it is because it's kind of what's required to come up with a, a, with a fresh concept or a fresh you know, story because we've seen everything. So uh, it probably does not a bad idea. And, and this is probably really simplifying, but it's probably not a bad idea to just look for ways to break things and to do things that are so out of the ordinary that they're going to just produce um pushback and 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 fear and revulsion from people who are looking at it at the conceptual level right um and um 
Yeah. So yeah, there's like an alchemy there for sure. And, uh, and sometimes you can do something and it goes, it flows a little more easily. And if you kind of everybody's on the same page and they get it and you're making a simpler sort of comedic idea, uh, it, it can, it just, it goes a little more easily. I think it has to happen. So like for a show like Clone High, there's a lot of breaking things at the beginning when you're creating, when you're designing these characters. Um, and for all I know in the writer's room, it, that happens again, but it does feel like it's like, oh, we're kind of like hooking now. Like we have <laughs> funny writers and then it gets to the record and you use really funny voice actors. And then, um, and then you're kind of plussing everything visually. And then it's, it's all kind of a whale oiled machine because it kind of has to be, you can't yeah. with the TV show for too long. Um, but you expect more from the movie. So you're going to be like, okay, no, why am I here? Why am I sitting in this, you know, like this dark room watching this thing better be fucking special. Um, yeah. So, yeah, I think that's that, uh, I mean, we could go into further detail. I just, I didn't even realize there was like a whole other conversation that I had left out when we kind of paused the cloudy thing. I was like, yeah, that's, I guess kind of it, but there's like, there's like a, like, like the movie itself, there are a million fractally branches you could go down. Um, uh, yeah. So yeah, success. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but it's like it's like a, a, and I think Lego Movie has this too, where it's like, is it like you're you're watching Lego Movie is incredible because it's such a great pure demonstration of their uh idea and i i did um i was i was on that movie for maybe a couple months just doing facial expressions and 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 dialogue mouth shapes and stuff for those characters that are frankly already designed i think they had already worked out what they were going to be wearing so as lego characters all their their look was done they just needed facial expressions and, and dialogue um and uh but there's something about that that's like a, such a pure example of what they took a concept it's like well, how is this going to work this seems like potentially a bad idea and then like oh i get it we're kind of simultaneously celebrating it and making fun of it mm -hmm. and we're uh getting really weird and going to places you're not really accustomed to seeing in an animated movie you definitely wouldn't expect to see in a lego movie mm -hmm. um and uh and you're introducing a lot of potentially com com whether complex and potentially complicated hopefully not complicated ideas and uh but it's supposed to be fun. <laughs> like, yeah. so if you have characters telling you what's happening, you take away, potentially take away from comedy, but they're, they, uh, I think it's, it's such a big like, success, um, at simultaneously giving good information as you're going through that movie and having funny characters sort of, uh, able to, to express themselves and, and make mistakes. Yeah. It's like, it's like, it's kind of like a, it's from a, a meta view. It's like, it's like a mistake making machine. It's like their production mm -hmm. is mistakes and thrives like on GBT mistake making. Like, broke it. It's messed up. But wouldn't it be cool to do a thing? I'm like, and then it's this is the experience. Phil walks in, like, oh, I just, uh, I don't really like it. And you're like, God, we're almost done here. It looks pretty good. And then, and he's like, uh, Yeah, I'm not really feeling it. We're like, Oh, fuck, kill me. And it's like, Yeah, can we do try this thing? And it's like, We're just diddling here. Like, we got to, can finish this movie nobody's sleeping and um and then and then when you at, at the end you're like well fuck that's actually 
it's actually pretty good. And then, um, <laughs> and then uh, that's the ultimate gift that you're giving to a crew. Like everybody wants mm -hmm. to have worked on a thing that they would continue to talk about and be proud of. But you can't think of that when you're in the production. You're just thinking about, please, God, make it stop. <laughs> it really gets to that level. <laughs> but God bless you if you ever get to that, because that is, that's where you want to be. That's the sweet spot, man. It's the kill me. I don't care if I don't wake up tomorrow, if I can just please stop working on this. And then redemptive arc to you're at the screening and going, holy shit, this is pretty good. And it's hey, Phil worth was right. it. No way to know that it's worth it because nothing could be worth it when you're going through mm -hmm. it. You're like, nothing is worth this. And you're uh, angry. <laughs> That's the experience. But it's, it's also like there's an understanding, I think, that you've had, you've been in enough projects where you've had that experience. You're like, this is the thing that could turn into a really good thing. So you kind of go all out. Mm -hmm. um, and there's there, and there's maybe an upset. There's even like kind of a possessed manic quality to that. To the, once you sort of like focus in, and it's terrifying to behold. Uh, and it's all it's like people, you know, your loved ones might look at you kind of like, why are you so caught up in this thing? And nobody can really know what what it is you're trying to do. Mm -hmm. yeah, a lot of the time, nobody notices when it's done, except you. You're like, oh, that was pretty good. Nobody really saw it, <laughs> but I made a thing. It was pretty good. Um, but in, in that and 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 the case of the Sony movies, and it could be the case. Clone High feels like one of the sort of like anonymous, semi-anonymous toils, but uh, obviously it's not the like the wrestling, the dragon that movies become. But it had that sort of like, is anybody gonna notice this thing? And I think people did, and people appreciated it. I think it's a really mm -hmm. funny show. I think objectively, I don't like a lot of watching a lot of animation. It's either visually super uninspiring or the jokes are funny, but who cares? It's like stand-up jokes. And uh, they do a great sort of melding of like brilliant, like yeah. funny writing with with interesting storytelling and you know, blah, blah, blah. We talked about this. I feel like animation people like to talk about story so much and I don't know who's more obsessed with it because I've come to find out that like live action people are just as obsessed, but it maybe just happens a different way. It's formatted differently. In animation, you're like in this constant pre-production that just goes right into post-production. There's no mm -hmm. production <laughs> uh, where you're shooting a thing and you're working with actors and stuff. So there's like more hand-wringing and there's more analysis and there's more like, does this thing work and that kind of stuff. Um, that'd be interesting though, to sort of like, actually, I don't know if I have the answers because I haven't worked in live action. I just, I can only rely on like stories that I've heard or, you know, reading about a production about the kind of, um, conversations that happen. It's about story. I tend to think, and I think this, you know, like this is probably, this is just my opinion is that there's like, if you want to talk about sophistication, I think there's, there's way more, um, that conversation at the level of live action can be way more sophisticated. But um, occasionally animation will will make a movie that just that actually ends up kind of inspiring live action writers like it can be that tight and that good story wise. Um, and hopefully that's what we do here. Well, thanks for having me on. <laughs> <laughs> I we wrapped covered it up. a lot. Of, um, we covered a lot of ground today, Carrie. Yeah, we did. Yeah, 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 we did. Um, uh, yeah, so. Yeah, so that's a, to, to wrap it up. It's a 
Yeah, I, th I think it's good that we got into the sort of like uh, the price you pay level uh, and the sort of like, I, I'm not really a big fan of the sort of suffering artist archetype. I think it's stupid, but it can happen if you're trying to do a good thing and there's like an intense schedule and you're responsible for a lot of people or if you're one of those people um, and you have to pull over time and you're not getting a thing and they're not happy with you. And it's like, it's like pretty intense. It can be pretty intense. Because yeah. the job is not long to begin with. It could be even shorter if you don't work out. Like you could be gone, you know, in months. Maybe it's mm -hmm. only a two year production. Uh, so it's, it could be really, really stressful. And you're doing you have a ton of work to do. And then what happens uh, a lot of time is like, like we're, oh, we're throwing that out, you know, after it's been approved, you know, especially mm -hmm. for board artists. Like I did a whole sequence and it's gone. Um, and yeah, and just like with writing, at the at the level of of boarding thing you know babies are getting drowned they're getting smothered in their cribs um yeah kill your babies you've heard of this i'm not just yeah. like being reverse and dropping like a dead baby metaphor but yeah you know like uh they, they say that a lot like uh absolutely because you're, yeah. you're, you're like trying to look at the hole and you're, you're cutting out things that don't work um and you're being brutal about it and it's okay like if you're thinking that way to begin with but it can be really crazy if you're really proud of a sequence and you're going, this is going to be fucking so hot. This is amazing. And then you're like, it really doesn't work, though. It's so annoying to get to that point. Oh, I can um, imagine, especially when you're towards the end, like old Phil coming in. And he's like, oh, I'm really not getting this. I do it. <laughs> fucking Phil, right? Um, I, I, I'm also be, I got to be careful not to attribute things to him that I think uh, were just as much sometimes, or maybe even more sometimes, uh, Chris, because they really are sort of a fused entity, a grotesque. Um, yeah, I don't want to get too ableist, but you well, know, we I mean? know exactly who we know exactly who is. You know what I mean, it's, right? It's it's a hundred percent Justin. I mean, we talked about it the first episode. He yeah. was the culprit, and now he's the culprit in part two. It's just bullshit, you know. Yeah, I know. Tell me about it. Um, I <laughs> have <laughs> uh, no idea what I'm saying. Um, yeah, so so uh, uh, yeah, but that that's sort of it's, it's uh, out of the two of them, Phil is the more noticeable. Mm -hmm. And then what you realize, you're like, oh, like Chris Miller's like a fucking monster too. He's just like quiet, and like he's like a little quiet genius. Um, and then. Uh, you know, like, uh, it feels more acerbic. He's more everything, you know, so you mm -hmm. tend to, like, go, like, oh, it's Phil came in and did the thing. Um, but it's just as often, like, they've decided a thing together. Um, yeah. And he's just louder. And, you know, he's got the hair. <laughs> um, uh, yeah, so, um, yeah, I don't know. I don't know how to top that. I feel like we, 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 uh, we, we uh we covered a lot of good stuff. We absolutely and, did a lot of stuff. Like a movie, it sort of it it led us. It it told us what it wanted to be. It led us to this ultimate conclusion that uh, you know, down the road we're gonna have to have you on for part three. I wanna go and watch Clone oh, High so we can talk about yeah, so we can oh, talk yeah. about No, that's the, good uh, because because we could talk about the new Clone High. We could, there's a lot of stuff and there's probably stuff that I've forgotten that I mean it's still there though. It's still there. Yeah um but it'll uh, come back as soon as we're off the call it always i happens. feel like it fundamentally it's, we kind of laid it out and and again it's like 
overly overly verbal version of of what this this stuff is about mm -hmm. um because like i said there's like really really amazing artists that just don't talk about it yeah. <laughs> but they do it and they do exactly so does it matter um i think it's actually helpful to hear like i it's helpful for me to hear somebody describe a thing and 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 mm -hmm. talk about what we're after it's how you get on the same page with people too so absolutely and there hasn't been too many people that can break down you know a production like you've broken down with these two shows because most of the time when whenever i have people on and this is not a knock against anybody it's like they're doing the greatest hits like you go to a concert they do the greatest hits mm -hmm. you know so there's some stories that they know people are going to talk this, about it's gonna be a little fresh because i don't get i'm not on a lot of podcasts mm -hmm. um yeah and there's now that i think about it there's like a lot of anecdotes that sort of relate to what we're talking about like what yeah. for example one of the things on cloudy that we were kind of not crazy about is the way cg um characters have these sort of spherical eyes Mm -hmm. that just have the CG look, the marionette yeah. look, whatever you want to call it. And uh, the way we were designing these characters, these eyes were, these eyes were huge compared mm -hmm. to char other characters' eyes. Um, and so they had to come up with these like misshapen spheres. They're almost like footballs in some cases because it's a literal sphere inside the cranium. Uh, and it doesn't have to be a fully articulated spirit, but it ends up being this like weird chewing gum shape that only works where the eyeball is. Otherwise, it's going to break the plane of the face. It's so bizarre. Like there's so many grotesque things that, that come out of this. So at one point we were like, can we just do a thing like we're with the eyes as if they were drawn on the character? Mm -hmm. Can we just do that at the painting level? Can we just do the expressions for the eyes at that level? At the, uh, I think at the... Uh, I want to say rendering, but it's a, a textural pass. Yeah. When they do like skin tones and things like that. Uh, is there a way to do it? Like, so, but it, it was something that would have broken their, the pipeline as they had. So they said no. Um, and w there could be some disagreement. I get it because I think we were at a level of production where that might've really been too much to work out. Um, but I mean, they did it with the peanuts movie, maybe I don't know how many years later eight years later or whatever, mm -hmm. where you can see it's like their the eyes are drawn and everything else yeah. is like, see, um, and by drawn, it's like, you know, like it's, it's not literally drawn necessarily, but it's as if it's painted on, on the character's mm -hmm. face and not a spear lodged into the character. Um, so that's a, that's something that had, they maybe had a little more time and maybe a little more persuasive ability and the ability to go like, well, let's try it. Um, then it might have had an even more radical look. Uh, and I also think that at this stage, it's possible that they do have that kind of ability to go, ah, because I feel like I feel like with the Spider-Verse movies, they're literally doing that with every sequence. They're like, can we do this thing? And then where they would have heard like, oh, oh man, that's oof, that's tough. It's just they're just going to blow through it and go like, let's well, can we create new software for that then? Like, we can do whatever you want. <laughs> Yeah, like it's like, and uh, um, and I think that's why why their stuff gets more and more, it gives more and more because they're actually kind of um, uh, they're they're you know the more they they more success they have, the more they're able to sort of like break down these things and and these also these barriers eat at you as a designer or in the case a, a creator or a, a director, and they're like, what if we had been able to do that? Mm -hmm the whole thing would have looked different. Maybe it really would have pushed things um, 
open even more, you know, and it eats at you the way, like, you know, blowing a championship series might eat at you if you're in basketball. Yeah. Well, <laughs> it, what what I what I think it did good for you guys, though, and then uh, we'll end it with this one. But uh, you guys, and I, I've said this for a couple things, you know, those early days of CGI, man, it was a crapshoot. They said, like, especially with Shrek, right? So a movie like Shrek, everybody said it was so hard to work on because at DreamWorks, the, I mean, it was, I think DreamWorks' first movie probably. And it was new, new technology emerging like every fucking week, every month, every, there was something different, new software, mm-hmm. new textures, new colors, new this, new that. So, I mean, it was a budding empire that, that hadn't really quite hit a stride. I mean, you had some, you had some fucking, what's the word I'm looking for? I can't think of it. You had, you had Pixar kind of led the groundwork, right? DreamWorks kind of step, took it one step further. Like each time, somebody with the computer cgi or the cgi just you guys progressed the 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 level you progressed the the scope of animation that much further each time so you guys really walk so spider-verse could run man so i really feel like chris and uh phil should you know put you in for an honorary oscar um i think you know you're 100 is the I reason agree. yeah cloudy cloudy if if you, they don't have cloudy, they don't have Spider Verse, man. I mean, come on, Phil. Hey, come on, it, there's no legacy. It's just bullshit. <laughs> okay. <laughs> um. Yeah, that'd be cool. I want to get yeah, that, yeah. Dude, man. Um. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> also, by the way, uh, as exciting as it is, and also uh, uh, deteriorious to one's mental health to work on these big movies. Um. Really, they, I'm just trying to find. Uh, uh, means of expression that lead to greater satisfaction, greater happiness, and, uh, mm-hmm. and the ability to sort of like communicate and, and relate to people. And it sounds corny as hell, but I honestly believe it. So it's even more sad because that's pathetic. But no, but seriously, you're trying to just have a good experience. It's that dumb. And uh, those seeing a movie screening or premiere is an ecstatic experience it's a huge like a peak meaning like a peak not as in peak i'm peeking over a fence looking at you but it could be that too but it's a it's a peak experience in your artistic life so it's addictive um and i don't know if it's good or bad but uh but it is part of like it's it's pretty it feels pretty exciting and it's pretty fun uh to reach a big audience Mm -hmm. it really is and at its own level it's like I would imagine that you know a, a musician performing uh, performing in front of a huge audience is like oh my god this is like the this is the pinnacle of experiences that I could have but uh, the kind of low level experience the experiences that kind of get you through and get you kind of like almost like a a marriage but with uh, with your creativity or with art or, or that's the stuff that's kind of like foundational and that's that's good. Like if you could just make your own thing, if you made your own, um, you know, graphic novel or short film and moreover created a process where you can get that, like that kind of creativity and feedback. That's really what you're kind of going for. It doesn't have to be on the scale of the kind of movies because it it never ends at that level. You're just, it's a sad road because, (laughs) um, it's nowhere to go, but down. Um, no, yeah. I mean, it's a huge philosophical discussion to like, is it, is that the point? Is it worth it to 
you know, sacrifice your, you know, just to, sure. Uh, I think at the end of the end of your life, it's not, I don't think you're ever going to get an answer to the question. <laughs> like, wow, you really made some good movies. <laughs> um, um, so it's like, kind of enjoy the ride as much as possible. And those, those kinds of projects are kind of like huge peaks and valleys. Mm -hmm. Um, but I, they're not, I don't think they're like destructive or anything like that. It could be, but what's better than destroying yourself on the project you really like? And that's a good place to end it too. You want to, I've given you a lot of alternate <laughs> endings. Um, <laughs> What, uh, that is that way. is a, a a perfect way to end it, ladies and gentlemen. Find something that you enjoy and destroy yourself. And let it kill over. you. Let it kill you. I think so. That's already now that I think about it. That's like actually a quote from somebody. I don't know who. Yeah. <laughs> or if Probably we're gonna end with quotes, if we're gonna end with quotes, there's this one I like. Man, comparison is the thief of joy. It was uh, said by old Theodore Roosevelt. I think Mark oh, Twain wow. had actually taken it. Yeah, Mark Twain had actually taken it, and it said it was the. What was it uh comparison was fuck. I'm just gonna end it with a Teddy Roosevelt one man comparison yeah. was the thief of joy um and that's I think that that, that can sum up uh quite a bit of everything man because you got to work on on some shows that were some sequels some shows that were some reboots and some yeah. revivals so you know comparing one uh project to the next even though it might be the same thing each one is different because you got different people you got different experiences you got different everything at the end of the day man so enjoy the ride because eventually it's going to kill you like carrie said over here um but have fun take like you out, said, man. nobody it's, gets it's after alive jim morrison okay <laughs> i'm not even a doris fan me neither man <laughs> he's been carrie i've been chilly and it's been a what's my head podcast and it's been another piece of your childhood good night <laughs>